I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Austin Letcher. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Chords Cast. As always, my name is Ben Forrid, and it's a pleasure to have you here with me. Um, we're launching this episode of the week of the Global Genes Annual Summit that's being held this year in San Diego, California. So um, I'm hoping that, that I'll see you there. This year, both Alyssa and I will be at the event. We're going to um, have a Chords booth. Uh, we're going to be... Uh, there to tell anybody who will, who will listen about the Chords Registry. Um, and so if you've been checking out this podcast for uh, the past year or so, and you've always wanted to uh, see the faces that line up with the voices that you've been hearing, um, you can you can sure come by and meet us. Uh, we might even have a cool pair of sunglasses or a spare t-shirt to hand out for our listeners as well. So um, don't be a stranger. Uh, go ahead and stop by. Likewise, um, if you uh, work with a group um, that's looking at starting a registry uh, and you'd like to learn more about how you can go about doing that, either with cords or, or maybe just get some, some questions answered about data management or um, privacy or working with an IRB, you know, we'd be happy to, to talk to anybody about any of that stuff. So um, like I said, come by if you have a chance. Um, or reach out to us through the um, conference app and set up a meeting. Uh, we'll, we're going to be pretty flexible. Um, this episode is a super cool episode. I'm really excited to, to get it out there. It's a um, joint podcast that we did in conjunction with, um, with two, two young women that, that I've had the pleasure of getting to know for uh, almost a year now, um, Maddie Manley and Megan Meyer. Uh, both have children with uh, congenital muscular dystrophy. Uh, I met them in uh, in Washington D.C. during Rare Disease Week uh, here in 2019, and um, and they're both just such awesome advocates, um, passionate champions for their kids, and um, they they bring awareness to congenital muscular dystrophy with the Cure CMD group. Not the least of their activities is hosting a podcast of their own called Two Rare Mama Bears. Um, and you can find that at curecmd.org slash podcast. Um, it's a great, uh, great podcast to get a listen to. Make sure that you go out to whatever app you're using to listen to podcasts and subscribe. Um, Megan and Maddie uh, put on a good show and, um, and you'll really enjoy it. In this episode, the two of us kind of, uh, or three of us rather, um, joined a, a conference line and kind of discussed uh, what both of our groups do. We talked about launching a registry uh, and 
some of the challenges that come along with that and, and some of the challenges that come up even after you've launched one. Um, so this is a good episode to listen to if you're on your way to Global Genes and you want to learn more about uh, starting a registry while you're there. Um, this can kind of prime the pump for some of that conversation, and, uh, and I hope it does. If you stop by the booth or if you run into us, um, either me and Alyssa or Megan and Maddie, um, any of us would be glad to talk to you about research and, uh, and registries. All right, I hope to see you soon. Enjoy this episode. How's it going? Good here in Washington. How about you? Excellent. Uh, Megan and I are both um, in the Midwest, you know, not all that far apart from each other. And it is hot and humid this time of year, uh, early July, late uh, late June. So while you're nice and bundled up, uh, we are sweating it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in a cold week this week in Washington. It's like 55 degrees here today. So I do. I have a long sleeve shirt and a sweatshirt on in my basement today. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, humid in the Midwest, and Ben tells us that he had a monsoon come through in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which means me sitting in Iowa, it's coming about a day later. So thanks for that news, Ben. Hey, I'm just trying to give you a heads up. You can prepare, uh, make sure that your boats are tethered uh, so they don't go floating down the streets. And, uh, <laughs> it was good to see you at Rear on the Road. That was a great event. Yeah. So how did uh, did Sanford get involved in Rare on the Road with Global Genes and Every Life Foundation? Yeah, so I think that we've been um, trying to get as involved with the rare disease community as we could over the past 10 years or so, kind of launching the Cords Registry. Um, we, you know, we really created this, this thing to be um, a freely accessible um resource for anybody that wants to set up a, a registry for their community and getting our name out there has been tough because you know uh, among other things we're located <laughs> out in Sioux Falls South Dakota and not on one of the coasts or you know not affiliated with a large university or anything like that and so um, uh, getting ourselves out there has been uh, something that we've had to actively do and we've gotten to know the uh, folks at Global Genes and Every Life pretty well just you know bumping into them at meetings around the, the country. And um, I went to a rare on the road last summer. So this would have been July of 2018 in Nashville. And it was a, it was a really awesome meeting. And um, Lisa Schill is kind of the, I'm not sure what her actual title is at every life, but she kind of uh, heads up the, the coordination of these events and I just told her, hey, we've got a, a large um, event space at our facility. Um, if you have any interest in doing a rare on the road in the upper plains, you know, the, the, the Great Plains states, you know, we, could, we could host and, you know, we would do it for free and um, make, sure that, uh, make sure that people who live out here, even though they'd have to drive, um, could, could come in and uh, participate in that. And, you know, I think folks out here are <laughs> probably more 
prone to drive a few hours for something like that than other places just because we have to drive three hours for anything. So um, it's uh, probably something more people would be amenable to. So that's kind of how it got um, got started and that conversation kind of got kicked off. We were really happy when they took us up on that offer. That's great. I, I drove six, so it, it goes to show people are willing to drive, yes. one. And two, it is giving good coverage across the United States of getting um, – yeah. Not just the coasts represented for events like that, but also the central U.S. Right. And um, there's unique challenges, I think, that rare disease patients in this part of the country face with access to care and um, access to specialists and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I think the big thing, just in general, um, identifying community uh, and overcoming that loneliness that you feel as a person. a rare disease patient or as a, a parent of a child affected by rare disease, um, finding people who can relate to you is harder to come by when you're in this very rural part of the country. And so uh, events like, uh, you know, Rare on the Road or, or any any event that kind of brings together uh, folks from the rare disease community in their, in their own area, I think is <laughs> a great step in the right direction. Well, we should probably back up and tell listeners how we all know each other. Yeah. So, Maddie, (laughs) can you lead us off with how we connected and how you learned about the castle? Well, I think there were Snickers involved. Um, (laughs) Do you mean like like candy bars or tiny laughs? (laughs) (laughs) Candy bars. Um, And about how Ben learned all he needed to know about congenital muscular dystrophy. Yes. Yes. Um, so during rare disease week, Megan and I, uh, had wrapped up some of the sessions during the conference day and we're walking around looking at booths and saying hi to people and Ben had a table with candy bars on it. So of course he was one of the first people to him. Yes. It had been a long day (laughs) and there was sugar involved. So um, we stopped and said hi to Ben and his at the time coworker Austin, um, and visited. And then I learned he works at a castle, and <laughs> there's a castle there. And how I didn't know this even existed was amazing. Um, but we got chatting about two rare mama bears and found out that you guys were doing a podcast, yeah, of course. And um, from there, it was kind of like, oh my gosh. And then I think every time we ran into you, I was like, it's the castle guys. (laughs) Yeah, because if you've never been to Rare Disease Week, um, it's it's these just string of awesome events that go that entire last week in February. It's in Washington, D.C. And um, you wind up meeting some of the most wonderful people that you'd ever, ever encounter. And then you keep bumping into them all week long. And so, you know, this is uh, this is how it happened for us. Uh, we met at, at the exhibit booth, like on the Monday, and then you know at random uh, one-off events throughout the week, we kept bumping into each other. And and by the end of the week, it was like, yeah, podcast, let's do that. And <laughs> and, uh, and Ben, you still had Snickers at the end of the week, and I think you were like, we are flying back tomorrow, and we don't want this in our luggage. And you were like, here, boom, more Snickers. Yeah, handfuls of Snickers. Yeah. Uh, 
And we were not flying back at that time, so we put them in our bags. Yeah, right. On the metro back to our Airbnb. (laughs) Yeah, let that be known to everybody. I mean, you get to know Ben Forid, and uh, (laughs) occasionally you get mountainous fistfuls of Snickers. Uh, It's it's kind of the sunglasses. And and sunglasses. That's the benefit of knowing me. And Ben probably gained a few congenital muscular dystrophy facts along the way from us and saw pictures of our kids. Yeah. Probably saw lots of pictures of our kids. That's what it's all about. Um, maybe for for the Chordscast listeners, it'd be good to maybe just do an intro to Cure CMD. I mean, you guys are so active um, and there's, there's so much that you put out and do. Um, could you give us just a... Just a, a brief intro to what is congenital muscular dystrophy for those who don't know. Um, how does it impact a, a person and a family? And, and what do you do as a group to help promote uh, research and awareness? So a little bit really quick about Megan and I, as we're both moms of two kiddos with a congenital muscular dystrophy. And we met at a um, conference for Cure CMD in summer of 2017. My son then was three. Yes, he must have been three. And Lily was five, Megan's daughter. Hmm. Um, And we just kind of hit it off as these two moms and uh, stayed connected after that through kind of lots of things and ended up doing Rare Disease Week together in 2017, which is where Two Rare Mama Bears podcast came from. And at that point, we had been kind of semi-involved with CureCMD, our patient advocacy group. Um, And then once we started the podcast, we really kind of dove in to the community and what it does and um, have become more involved over the last year and a half. Um, But that's kind of where that came from and how Megan and I got involved with CureCMD. Um, And Megan, did you want to talk about the CMDs mm-hmm. themselves. Yep, I will add, um, you might have gathered that, so this is Megan, you might have gathered I have a Midwest connection. I'm in Iowa, Iowa City, but I grew up in Sioux City, so just south of Sioux Falls, south of Bend. Yeah. Um, and I do have a South Dakota connection in that my um, husband is from South Dakota. Um, so if you are a South Dakota listener, um, I identify really well with you guys. Um, my <laughs> in-laws live in winter, South Dakota, so I am frequently um, in winter. Oh, yeah. Travel your state all the time. I would <laughs> say I'm probably 30% South Dakotan just by matter of marriage. <laughs> That's the way that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially my during kid. pheasant hunting season. Exactly. And my last name is South Dakota, especially yeah. in, in that part of uh, South Central South Dakota. Very true. Yeah. Um, so Cure CMD's mission is to advance research for treatments and a cure for the congenital muscular dystrophies and to improve the lives of those living with CMD, congenital muscular dystrophy, through engagement and support of our community. So there are uh, five subtypes of congenital muscular dystrophy which are, I'll try to do them really quickly, are collagen 6, which is made up of Ulrich congenital muscular dystrophy, intermediate collagen 6 and Bethlehem myopathy, uh, dystroglycanopathy, which is Walker-Warburg syndrome, Fukuyama muscle eye brain disease, and then five uh, genetic 
uh, deletions of lemon girdle muscular dystrophy. Lamma 2, which is Marison deficit and Marison negative. Sepin 1, which is rigid spine muscular dystrophy or multi-mini core disease. And Sepin 1 is what both of uh, Maddie and my children have. Hmm. And then Lamma 2, which is a laminopathy or Emery Dreyfus muscular dystrophy. So these LMNA. LMNA. What did I say? Lamma you two. said Lamma 2. Sorry. LMNA. Mm -hmm. These muscular dystrophies represent a group of diseases that cause muscle weakness at birth or shortly after. Shortly after is defined um, um, as being within the first two years. Um, as you can tell, they have several defined genetic mutations, uh, and these all cause muscles to break down faster than they can repair or grow. A person with CMD may have various neurological or physical impairments. Some never gain the ability to walk while others lose their ability as they grow older. Because mm. uh, there are so many genetic variants, that also means that there's kind of a spectrum um, sure. of abilities. Even within one uh, subtype, you know, like, does it vary throughout or is it from, you know, comparing limb girdle muscular dystrophy to Emery Dreyfus muscular dystrophy? Uh, there's a very, um, from person to person, even within a subtype, yes, there's still some variations because mm -hmm. everybody's different. Yeah. Um, and every, specifically like except for sep and one, which is the community that we know the most of within that and their genetic mutations, uh, it varies even from Matthew to Lily's symptoms and onset and stuff like that. So there's a spectrum even within. Hmm. Most of these subtypes are still in the phase of gathering natural histories. Yeah. So we can tell there are trends, um, but there's still a little bit of a spectrum in each of them. Sure. Does and Cure, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Cure CMD has has a registry, right? You have a a, mm -hmm. a method to, or a, a repository where you're collecting data and um, mm -hmm. trying to pull out some of those trends. Um, they've got the Congenital Muscle Disease International Registry, or CMDIR, uh, that is a worldwide registry. It's somewhere between 2,000 to 3,000 registrants worldwide. Mm. Uh, and it not only has just the CMD subtypes, but also some other congenital muscle disease subtypes in it. Uh, it's quite broad. Um, it's been a great effort that's been pulled together. And then there's also uh, a tissue repository arm of that as well. Wow. I mean, that's a powerful research tool. I mean, we talk about that all the time that um, with cords, we're collecting data from patient reported data from uh, families of any rare disease. But um, if you're able to tie that information to a physical sample for a researcher, um, there's so much value in that and understanding some of the things that are going on with the quality of life and not just what's happening um, at tissue level or at a genetic level. So can you tell our listeners more of what CORDS registry houses and then how that information is used by uh, researchers and or clinicians? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a... Um, I, we call it a disease agnostic registry. It's it's it kind of comes from the um, from our roots as researchers. So they should kind of probably back up and say that I work for a, a healthcare company called Sanford Health, 
it's a hospital system that's based in the Great Plains region of the U.S. Um, and we've got hospitals and clinics kind of spread all across these five northern central states in the in the country. And um, I work for the research arm of that. So we're a nonprofit hospital system. And, and so our um, our profits, for lack of a better word, go back into the the institution to fund certain initiatives. And one of the one of the biggest ones is research. Um, as we've grown since 2010, uh, rare disease has become kind of a pillar of what we do. We've got about 40 laboratories uh, that do basic science research, and about half of those labs have um, at least a project that touches on a rare condition in some way, shape, or form. And so um, there's a lot of that going on here. And, it, and I think from that aspect or, or given that background, um, we, we see the need in therapy development pipelines or even in just um, building relationships between communities and researchers who are trying to understand the conditions. Um, there, there has to be some sort of mechanism to collect data and disseminate that. And when we looked out there um, to, to what's available, there wasn't a real robust, free, uh, accessible registry. And so um, Dave Pierce, our, our, uh, our president of research, said, well, let's just build one ourselves. And so we kind of leaned on the, the IT infrastructure that we have as a hospital system. Um, you know, all of the HIPAA compliance and all of that stuff was already there. And so we kind of built that out um, from scratch. And it's, it's truly a 100% uh, cost-free registry. Anyone with any rare disease can come fill out our standard questionnaire and provide data on their health. Um, we'll work with advocacy organizations to create disease-specific questionnaires. So you can uh, answer very specific questions about uh, the condition that you're affected by. Um, and, and all of that is, is at no cost. We don't charge anyone to, to do that. On the back end, researchers can access that data in a de-identified way so they can get aggregate chunks to, like you said, um, look at trends in that data or uh, see, what's, um, see if there's any you know, running themes throughout the condition. And uh, that's free too. We don't charge anyone to access that information on the back end. So it's, um, it's, it's meant to be this kind of uh, just out there, neutral repository for that data to live. And um, I should also say that it's not restricted to the researchers here at Sanford. Um, really, the vast majority of our researcher access requests come from universities all around the country and world um, because they're directed to us by the communities that we help. Um, and so if, if there's a, a rare disease group that's, that's developed a questionnaire with us and they have a champion researcher in Italy that's, the, that's looking at, um, at their disease, uh, that individual can come to us and get access to the, the group's data, um, even though they're not affiliated with Sanford at all. How many registrants do you have? Right now we've got, it's a moving target. It's between 6,500 and 7,000 people in the registry. Um, and okay. there's, there's over a thousand diseases represented there. So it, it really runs that gamut. Um, when I mentioned that we partner with advocacy groups to create disease specific questionnaires, we, um, we've partnered with about 46 or 47 groups uh, to do that so far. Um, but we're always looking to build new relationships and work. Um, you know, our directive is to try to help as many people as we can 
in whatever way we can. <laughs> and so um, as researchers, I think the, the best thing we can do is help find a way to organize um, data and, um, and, and turn that into something that can be useful when other researchers are trying to steer their ships. Okay, so just as a logistics question, as Maddie and I network with more and more rare disease advocacy individuals, um, and some of them are very grassroots and starting out. Yeah. Um, and might be, you know, creating a grassroots organization from the ground up. What kind of access do advocacy organizations have to the data? Do they have administrative rights to the data or is that something that courts manages? That's a great question. So we, we manage the data and we, we house the data in our database. Um, we like to say that the data is always owned by the people who gave it to us. So the participants, as we call them, the people who have the patients who have, have participated, they give us consent to share that data, um, to contact them for future research and all that. But um, when we work with groups, and I, I will say we, we tend to focus on or we tend to work with um, those grassroots, smaller groups that are just getting started, they don't have a ton of resources um, we tend to, to work with them um, from early on to try to try to build something as they as they grow, you know, something that can grow with them. And um, each month they get a, a report of that data. It's, it's the full um, de-identified data dump from everybody who's in their registry. And um, it's for, you know, well, I should say it's for everyone who's filled out their questionnaire that gave consent for us to share it with them. You know, that's the that's the PC <laughs> IRB approved way of saying that. But um, as long as the individuals gave us permission to share it with them, they get included into the, the data dump that they get. Um, we also work with our privacy office. Sometimes uh, those smaller groups, while trying to manage their membership, um, will see it valuable to if they could get an identifiable list of people who have filled out the questionnaire, they can cross-reference that with their membership list and say, oh, these 30 people haven't completed the CORDS questionnaire. We should email them and see why they haven't done that yet. <laughs> and so, you know, there's there's ways that, that they can um, uh, kind of gently nudge people along to, to encourage participation. That's really, the, um, that's really the challenge that you have no matter what type of registry you try to set up or who you work with at the end of the day um, it's usually the community foundation that knows where everyone is and is in the closest touch with all of them and can can try to emphasize how important it is to participate so let's talk about that maddie <laughs> i was just gonna i was like oh i have a question <laughs> uh, for those people, I'm going to say those 30 people that haven't filled it out um, and that may be hemming and hawing about if they want to be on a registry, what are the benefits for patients and families, patient organizations, patient organizations, but more specifically affected individuals and their families that they put the time in to be part of a registry? Yeah, that's a that's the million dollar question um, because you know it's free and stuff, and we can we can scream that from the mountaintops as much as we want. But um, really, you know, folks want to know what's in it for them. You know, what do they get out of it if they're 
um, if they're contributing their valuable data, um, what, what, what can that lead to? And I think that, um, you know, there's two answers. The first one is, you know, we, we take that information and we put it in, in the registry and down the road, pharma companies or researchers can come to us with future studies or with clinical trial opportunities or things. And we will play middle person in that situation and pass along those chances um, to everybody who qualifies. Um, the other thing is a little bit more abstract, but I don't think it's any less important. Um, you contribute your data to a registry and that gets put into an entire body of knowledge um, surrounding a, a certain disease. And you're contributing to what we as a research community or as a scientific community understand about the way our bodies work. And um, when you think about this, not in, in short term, uh, and by that, I mean like over the course of a, a decade or, or two, but if you think about this generationally, if you have people contributing data to a registry over the course of two or three generations, the things that scientists are going to know about that condition and how, how it naturally progresses and what treatments have worked and what hasn't worked and all of that stuff will naturally build over time. And, um, and by contributing your data, you're, you're, yes, playing a small part to that, that larger piece, but that, has, that is having a direct impact on how a future patient is going to be able to live their life. Um, and it's, it's such a wonderful gift when you think about it that way. So to summarize. Yeah, that was kind of long winded. I, I know. I could talk I about this all day. But this is something that specifically in the congenital muscular dystrophy community, communities, because there are multiple Facebook groups that yeah. our community has that comes up on probably what, at least a monthly basis of don't forget we have the registry. Don't forget to sign up and yeah. people will, um, there's various reasons why, why people choose not to do it. Um, but I think it's an important reminder that as a community, we all would like to see our rare diseases get to, um, treatment, get to treatment and get to, well, first get to clinical trial and then get to treatment and get to a cure. Mm -hmm. But we can't get to any of those steps without data from a registry. That's right. Right? Yeah. And so the most applicable and easiest way that we as a community can all make a contribution is putting data in a registry and keeping it updated. Yeah. Is I mean, if I'm going to summarize all of that yeah. into one little capsule, there it is, right? No, that is beautifully put. I, I, I might listen back to that and type it up and put it on a pamphlet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that was all it was. Those people that's that right. show up and are newly diagnosed, or they're coming back and going, "What can I do to help? How can I be part of this? What can I do to help? Get on the registry." Find yeah. out about your patient organization's reg registry or the CORDS registry and get on a registry. Yeah, it doesn't get on, take, get on a bunch but, of it. you know, 20 minutes of time. Right. And and you can, there's nothing that says you have to be exclusive. Um, and, you, you know, if there are three registries that pertain to you and you're willing to give your data, all three of them will make great use of it. <laughs> it's um, it's a It's a wonderful thing to do. 
and I think most people, um, again, going back to some of that, some of those feelings that no matter what type of a rare condition you're, you're facing, um, because it's rare and because you're not able to really reach out and find anyone easily that, that can hundred percent relate to exactly what you're going through. Um, participating in a registry is a, is a community building event. It's a way to, it's a way to find others that, um, can relate and contribute knowledge. Uh, and I think that most people from that space want to participate in research. Um, you know, they, they want to find a way to, to play some sort of role. Uh, but it's, it's harder for them to, um, go out and find those opportunities themselves. And so, uh, registries are one of the best ways to start that process. And down the road, other research opportunities um, you know, may come your way. It is a community building event. Here's a story that proves it. Uh, right after my daughter was diagnosed, probably within a week afterward, um, because my day job is at a major research institution, I knew that registries were a thing. And I knew there must have been something somewhere for congenital muscular dystrophy. So I just started Googling and I found the congenital muscle disease international registry. And so I input my daughter's information in that. And I didn't know anything about cure CMD then mm -hmm. but I input my daughter's information in that. And then about a week later, I got a phone call from somebody at cure CMD who curates the uh, information in that registry. And um, she was telling me about Cure CMV and about the Facebook group that is for my daughter's subtype. So I joined it the next day and, you know, the rest is history. I joined yeah. the Facebook group and I started going to, uh, to events. And when <laughs> I started going to events, I met Maddie. I went to advocacy events. I went to Capitol Hill. I started a podcast. I met Ben. And here we are all, <laughs> all together. <laughs> right? All it is community building. It's well, it's true. And, you know, and I think it, um, it runs, runs the, the full, the full gamut throughout the entire, you know, all of the rare disease community. You can't spend too much time at one of these, uh, large rare disease events, whether it's the global gene summit in California, or it's any of the rare disease day events in, in February in Washington, DC. Uh, you don't spend much time at any one of those before somebody starts talking about a registry. Um, the, it's, it's like this, it's like this pervasive topic that just comes up in every talk and every conversation. Um, yeah, but how do we collect data on our people? Nobody, you know, the, the, the folks who can design therapies and the folks who can, you know, uh, research a, a disease don't know how this thing progresses. How do we, how do we do that as a, a group of parents that, um, don't have a lot of resources to throw at it, you know? Um. You know, I'd get fired if I didn't say you talk to cords, but I, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can, that you can get going. And, um, you know, the NIH just, just put out their, um, their radar toolkit is like a, it's like a web-based how-to manual for launching your own registry. Um, and, and they have a ton of great information in there. So, you know, it's, it's daunting. It seems overwhelming. Um, and it's, and it's kind of scary. But um, there are people out there that want to help you, and um, you know, and oftentimes they're just an email away. Yeah. 
Well, this has been awesome, awesome, awesome. If listeners want more information on cords, they would find you on the web at... Uh, it's www.sanfordresearch.org slash cords. And on Twitter, you are... I'm at Sanford Ben F. <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a weird, really awful Twitter handle, but that's what I got assigned. <laughs> and Sanford is San S A N. Yeah, Some like people San- try to put a D in the middle. Right, it's like Sanford and Son. You know, like <laughs> uh, it's not Stanford either. You know, no T in there. Yeah. And if. Uh, the Sanford Cords listeners would like to learn more about uh, congenital muscular dystrophy, you can find QRCMD at www.curecmd.org or find Two Rare Mama Bears on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the number Two Rare Mama Bears. Yes, go subscribe to that podcast. Okay, thank you everybody for hopping on today. Uh, For everybody that is listening, don't forget about being part of your registry. Yes. <laughs> and everybody have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes' song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, Visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Chordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chords Cast.